Hi, welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. This episode I catch up with Askew. Askew's a New Zealand-based artist uh, who came up in the 90s in the Auckland graffiti scene. Uh, since then he's made a name for himself globally and has moved on to become a really important contemporary artist. Enjoy. All right, I'm sitting here with Askew from, uh, from New Zealand. How are you going? I'm going good, bro. Yourself? Yeah, good, thanks. Good to, good to sit down and have a chat to you. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's even speaking over this modern technology because I'm sitting uh, on the top floor of a loft in Detroit looking out over Gratiot Avenue, people watching. I just seen some guys hollering at some chicks walking across the crossing before, which was pretty amusing. Yeah, and I'm uh, in Australia, in Melbourne. But it's weird because it's daylight for both of us. It's uh, Yeah, yeah, totally. It's but it's... it's it, 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 yeah, it gets dark late here at this time of year. Like, um, you know, obviously it was the solstice this week, so two yeah. nights ago. So it's like um, it's like eight thirty in the evening over here. Yeah, and um, probably won't get fully dark for another hour or something. Yeah, yeah. It was I was in Berlin just like a week and a half ago, and it wasn't getting dark there till midnight, and it was getting light again at about four thirty in the morning. Yeah, that was messing with the body clock, as it does all the world traveling, yeah. bouncing around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you, totally. It's good for you to escape winter, though, in Auckland. Yeah, and it looks it's been a particularly wet one, man. Like, like for the two weeks before I left, it rained like torrential rain, like every single day, and I was just like, "Get me the fuck out of here!" <laughs> like, it's so bad because I I hate being away from home and you know everyone I love, obviously. But you know, two weeks of torrential rain will do that to you. Yeah, good chance to uh, get into the studio and get some work done, though. Yeah, that's it, you know, like um, kept the distractions on the minimum. Yeah. You've been to Detroit a few times over the years, haven't you? Yeah, like, this is, yeah, this is like visit number six. Yeah. Um, I first came to Detroit in like, let me think, must have been 2009. I came out here, there, there used to be a gallery out here that was kind of like a lowbrow kind of pop art gallery like called C-Pop. And the owner of that uh, was a guy called Thomas Dews who invited me out to Miami for... Um, you know, primary flight and all that as part of like, it was kind of weird. I, I went out as part of the Detroit kind of collective of artists. Um, it was the first time I met Tristan Eaton as well because he's a Detroit boy. So we were um, part of, you know, their galleries kind of group of artists that went out and painted. And then afterwards they invited me back. And so I came to Detroit in the dead of winter. It was a very bleak experience coming here in winter. Um, I mean, there's a lot that's happened out here. There's a lot that's changing. There's a lot of gentrification and, and shit happening here that wasn't then. Um, but, you know, put a really, really cold, snowy winter on top of that and sort of it gives you a pretty kind of skewed impression of the place. Um, so I came back. I, I was kind of intoxicated by it nonetheless. And so I came back like a year later, um, well, less than a year, like seven or eight months later in the middle of summer and was just, you know, oh, yeah. It's like any city, you know, it comes alive in the summer and people are out and there's a lot of interesting stuff and started to meet people and build friendships out here and, you know, for a minute it was a place to go. I mean, you know, a lot of people coming out here and painting graffiti and, and um, there certainly was a lot of stuff right on the main road, like street stuff happening. And I was part of that, you know, but I feel a little bit different about it today, you know, knowing so many local people and sort of knowing how they feel. So a lot of people out here felt like it was like a lot of people coming from elsewhere and kicking them while they were down, you know, Yeah. which isn't something I really want to contribute to. So I have a different kind of mentality to the place now, I think, you know, but I'm glad, I'm glad for the experiences that I had. 
Yeah. Have you seen it change a lot? Like, uh, like, do you think the changes are for the better as well? Oh, I think it's like any type of change, you know, there's good and bad that comes with any type of change, you know, like I'm, obviously I grew up in uh, central Auckland during the, during the nineties and I watched the gentrification of our city, you know, to the point now where, you know, I mean, my parents bought a house for 60 something thousand dollars and the same house is probably worth over a million today, you know, in such a short space of time. And, and that was because of speculation, people coming in and flipping houses, renovating and flipping houses. And, and right now there's a big influx of uh, you know, people coming from around America mostly um, and buying buildings while they're cheap and renovating them and flipping them. But yeah. the other side of it is that there's a lot of people doing really cool niche businesses and things that they've always wanted to do and they can operate out here with low overheads. And, and the kind of context where it's like local or young or creative people, it's kind of like it's kind of a beautiful time right now. You know, it's a good balance of the two. Yeah. But, um, but I think, you know, like um, any city that kind of, you know, goes through that type of gentrification process, it's like, you know, the, the, the narrative is really one of like, you know, how are they going to make it, how are they going to make the city thrive without pushing out the people that have been here all along? Cause you know, a lot of Detroiters felt like they got kind of left to their own devices for a long time and had no love or support from anyone else. Like they were forgotten and, um, you know, they kind of grew in, into a very, you know, very resilient kind of culture out here. You know, it's a real DIY, you know, do it for yourself kind of town, which, you know, I mean, that's what everyone's attracted to, you know, so they shouldn't kind of, you know, they should, shouldn't change it. They shouldn't make it bland. Mm. I watched a, um, a Vice documentary on Danny Brown. It was mm. about uh, maybe a couple of years ago now. I remember but, that one, yeah. Yeah, he said some really interesting things about Detroit and their gentrification of it. Mm, and, um, yeah. you know, like peop- he says, oh, you know, people bag out like hipsters and coming in and making areas trendy and all that type of mm. stuff. And he said, look, you know, he was showing a trendy part of Detroit. And he says, mm. you know, six years ago, you wouldn't want to come here. There was nothing mm-hmm. here. There was, there was uh, no reason to be here and people yeah. be like, get me out of this place. And now you go there and it's, um, you can go get a nice coffee and buy some clothes and stuff like that. And it's all these people that are making their own businesses and making their own money. And they're, yeah. they're you know, they're, it's not like you don't have Starbucks and, and big corporations coming in doing it. You've got, you got young people um, starting something. Yeah, although you do have you do have a lot of those big corporations here now, which you didn't maybe even just two years ago. Mm. Like they're starting to see the viability as people move back from the suburbs and move from other um, parts of America and the world to live here, um, which is sad because one of the things that was was so beautiful about Detroit was just the fact that you would encounter a lot of what they would call ma and pop businesses, you know, family businesses that have been around and weathered the storm for fifty years or so, and you know manky kind of hand-painted signs and you know everything is just so I don't know it's like there's a community here you know I've seen some things in the past week that cracked me up bro like they got I don't know if you've ever seen these bars that it's like a pedal kind of bar with like eight people sitting on it all pedaling and sculling yeah I've seen, seen that around Europe yeah like so you know like you know a whole bunch of like real suburban looking white people kind of fly past you on one of these bars right in Midtown. And, you know, I just had to stop and think, you know, like, I wonder how people that lived here their whole lives feel about that, you know, like, because it's like, it's one thing, it's one thing to make a place cool and desirable, but when you start making it real corny like that and bland, it's kind of like, you know, 
it's um it's kind of I don't know it's it's kind of sad you know you got to respect the culture of a place you know and yeah. um, Detroit has the opportunity to do that Detroit has been doing that you know mm. uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about this place I learn something new every time I got checked I got checked so hard out on Monday man like talking to this one dude he was a total historian you know and this guy was like checking me at every corner. You know, like we were talking about stuff and my observations or whatever, and he was basically like, "Well, you know, you don't really know shit. I lived here my whole life. This is, this is how I see it." And a lot of what he was saying was opening my eyes, you know, because I was like, "All right, you know, you can't make an assumption about a place just because you've visited even as many times as I have, you know." And it's a very complex place, you know. I learn more about it every time I come here, and you know, yeah. I learn mostly that I don't know shit about anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same um, from living in Barcelona. I think, yeah, I lived mm. there for a year and a half and thought I had a decent grasp of the place. And you speak to locals and have similar conversations and realize you mm. don't know shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to just, you got to appreciate the locals, man. Like, that's that's just the big moral of the story, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, anyway, enough about where you're at right now. But, uh, you know, um, you know what's, what was it like growing up in Auckland? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, Auckland, I mean, you know, it's it's a strange place, man. Like on reflection, I'm just really thankful I grew up there at the time that I did, mm. because it was sort of um, how would I describe it? A bit more archaic, you know, a bit run down. Um, there was plenty of um, space, you know, abandoned space and kind of like you know run down areas and a, a kind of a real decrepit kind of um, rail infrastructure and all of these things that were just like kind of like perfect breeding grounds for kids that were getting into graffiti and a lot of um, people were really naive about what graffiti was or they didn't spend a lot of money cleaning it and everything so we had our own little kind of you know perfect situation back in the 90s where you know we could you know to put it in perspective I mean we had a we had a, a, a train line or three train lines in our city that basically we only had six trains running on these three train lines and they only ran on the hour and they only ran like from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and only six days a week. So Sunday was this day where basically me and my friends would spend the whole daytime walking up and down the train tracks just painting pieces wherever we wanted. And we could paint right on stations in broad daylight in front of like, you know, cars going over like the rail crossings and stuff and nobody would come and hassle you. You know, you could. we were just so brazen. It was just like the easiest thing in the world to do was graffiti and it was very free. And um, our influences were a little bit different to like maybe what Australia had, you know. Like we didn't have like a really super established kind of lineage. Like we had like um, a small group of guys that did New York influence graffiti uh, in, the, in the early 80s. And then we had a, like a whole bunch of people that did like Los Angeles gang inspired graffiti for a long time. Like that was kind of the biggest cultural kind of influence for us. And then, you know, a small group of guys that had grown up in Australia maybe for a portion of their life and came back and brought the kind of influence of Sydney and Melbourne over. And they were a small, tight-knit group of guys that weren't really that excited about all of our generation getting into graffiti. So they did a lot to put us off, yeah. you know. But so, we, um, yeah, but we, we came out of the more like the tagging scene, most of my friends, and then we tried to like paint pieces kind of like them. But they didn't really want us to paint pieces like them. So we started trying to paint pieces like stuff we saw from overseas. And it was convenient that the internet sort of became a thing at that time. And we started to see a lot of stuff from around the world and kind of try and emulate, I guess. 
Yeah, because I remember when I first saw your pieces, um, you were doing 3D graffiti at the time. Yeah, um, I, I, I did that. I, I've been through a few phases, man. Like, I had, I, I actually painted very traditional looking stuff prior to that. Like, I kind of went from like letters to kind of, I went from like letters to characters to like 3D pieces to trying to relearn letters. And then kind of like that was my trajectory from that point, like just kind of like working within the parameters of somewhat classic looking graffiti, but trying to modernize it, I guess, was kind of like what I was trying to do, me and my friends. Um, and, you know, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Often it didn't. But, yeah, I think, I think we did some cool stuff, you know what I mean? Like we found ourselves eventually. Yeah. It took a while. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think, uh, like, uh, uh, do you think hooking up with the stick up kids um, had a massive influence on changing up your style as well? Oh yeah, like just just making friends from abroad in general, man. Like particularly from Europe, and and obviously I had a really strong kind of leaning towards, you know, the German scene at that time, and and that was, you know, that was kind of a series of events that kind of made that happen. Like, um, I don't know if you know, but I. When I was about like 19 or 20 years old, I started trying to um, organize like a graffiti jam, like a festival. And um, I organized the first one. I guess I was 20 or 21 actually. And I organized the first one um, and invited Lumet over from Germany. And that was like for me at that time. I mean, I just thought he was the most um, prolific, you know. And I guess he was already sort of doing something kind of on a grand scale too, which I, I – Truthfully, I was impressed by that. Like really early on, I, I liked that they did very muralistic stuff. That I, I actually excite, um, it excited me. I liked all the theme stuff, and I liked his three D pieces that looked like animals and mountains. You know, <laughs> so, I mean, it was different. You know, so I like, I reached out to him. He had a website, and I just um, fired him an email off his website, and he actually like answered in like about half an hour, and was like, "Yeah, I'd love love to come out there. It's my favorite country. I've been there two times already." And so um, at that point, I was like, shit, how do I actually find the money to get this guy out here, you know, <laughs> which I did by learning about how to write a sponsorship proposal. And I mean, I didn't, man, I think I didn't even have like a cell phone at the time. I, I sort of had this vague memory of like making these phone calls to someone with a calling card from a payphone outside like the apartment in St. Kevin's Arcade where I lived like calling them up in Germany from a payphone and there were like drunks walking past me and people like, you know, patrons at the cafe drinking and stuff. It was, you know, it was a weird scene, you know. Yeah. But but he, he introduced me to Cantu. He was the one that suggested I should invite Cantu out and thought that he would be a really cool person to bring out, that he would get along with a lot of my friends and he could see the influence of his work and a lot of my friends like Fat One and Exist and people like that. So um, I invited him out and, from that point, it kind of changed the course of a lot of our lives because he was like, um, you know, he was a genuine friend to us very quickly and a mentor, and kind of big brother kind of figure. And he was so sort of, sort of, you know, forthright with um, advice. And we got a kind of access to him that I think even people in his own country never really got, which I think people found really confusing. But, for, you know, he liked something about us. You know? Yeah, embrace yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, we did. We yeah. ran with it, you know, yeah. like, you know, it was a big deal for us, man. So, used to travel out quite a lot, stay with him, and then mm. he introduced me to, well, actually, Diamond introduced me to WOW, and, and um, in 2003, um, I met Atom 
through Kansu and then that was really like like meeting a big brother, you know. He had all of those kind of standoffish kind of qualities that a big brother has, like affectionate but kind of ch- challenges you at every kind of, you know, turning point, checks you all the time in front of people, <laughs> tells you you're doing good and then tells you you're shit, like, you know, like all that kind of stuff, you know. He was still very active in painting trains and a lot of shit, so to us he had a lot of a lot of clout, you know, we were like, well, you know, like he's the man. Yeah. And um so yeah, no, I mean, you know, through all of that series of events through Can too, really, um, he, he kinda put us on the map. I don't think many people knew about us outside of New Zealand prior to that. Yeah. And that um do you think like those uh those connections really um sort of made you a a a leading figure in the Auckland graffiti scene from what I could like I've never been to Auckland so I could only tell from what I saw um, on the internet and magazines and and I think I think our whole scene benefited in a weird way it's just that the only difference between me and a lot of other people was I actually traveled I mean there were there were a couple other people that traveled too, like Vince from RTR like he he probably was the first one of us to like out of my group of friends because I've known him since high school he was like the first one to like go and do a huge like you know you know what us Kiwis and Australians call a, a, you know the big OE, you know like he went off to to Europe and the United Kingdom and he painted in all these places and he was the first one to go do it, and then shortly after well you know a few years after Icon went, you know and Icon obviously is a real um, influential figure, you know him and Vince were very influential like in my early career. Um, I mean, Icon's probably the first person to really like encourage me to actually go out and try and paint a proper piece as opposed to just doing tags, you know. Yeah. And uh, he 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 went and did a lot, man. Like he he was like the first Kiwi to really go to New York and and really like put some proper work in. And I mean, I think he he like floated around the U.S. for a while. I feel like he was gone for like a year or something. I I think he overstayed. Yeah. I think he just got got over here and then didn't leave for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy, Icon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, to me, he's like one of the best because he's he's not really followed trends particularly. Yeah. Um, some of the outlines he still does today, are outlines that are built on and developed from outlines he was drawing when we all used to flat together as like teenagers or in our early twenties. Mm. Um, he's got that kind of he's got a he's got a genuine artist mentality to the way he does his work. And the other thing that makes him interesting is he understood context really early. Because he was a documentarian too, you know, like he, he shot a lot of beautiful photos on film. Mm. Um, when everything went digital and, you know, I, I tell you, I was the first to jump to getting some fucking 5.6 megapixel fucking camera that's like worse than the average cell phone today and being like, well, don't need to buy film anymore. And he was like, no, nah, don't trust it. You know, yeah. film, you can't surpass film. And he just kept shooting on film the whole time. I don't, I don't think he got like a digital camera until there were like, digital cameras that were like well over 20 megapixels. Yeah. I've noticed as well from um, uh, painting with him that he's mm. held on to his, uh, his 90s roots and he, has, yeah. he hasn't given in to trends or anything like that. Yeah. Not just the style of his pieces but also the way he goes about painting them. It's yeah, like yeah. He, he's... Will, he will put a lot of effort into his background and, and mm. all the bells and whistles that you would have done you know, 20 years ago on a piece, he still brings them into his pieces today and... Uh, and they, they they stand the test of time. You can tell like the work that he puts into them. He's uh, yeah. He has he just, you know it. It just doesn't look like 
a painting that someone would do these days and that's what's so good about them yeah like if you look at my stuff like it, it always looks like it reflects the time hmm. and like i keep moving but he's more interested in being a classic like he's like more into being timeless like you know, he, he wants an icon piece. This is my take on it. He'd, he'd probably say something different, but my take on it is just that he's like a person who um, he wants an icon to look like an icon. You know what I mean? So, so it's like that's that's what he's stuck to, you know. And, and you know, like he, he's a really important figure. There's others too, like Fat One, man. Like a lot of people don't really understand the extent of his history. I mean, Fat One was like in my city, he was the fucking epidemic. Like he was just the beast, bro. Like you know, like before he became a dad, you know, he 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 was like really like graffiti was it for him, man. And he he was like the guy that was like he painted trains, he painted freights, like he painted the most freights. You know, he had the most throw ups, he had the most street tags. Like he did a piece on every legal wall with every other writer from every other crew, and he would always be dead center and have the biggest best piece, like. He was just, you know, he'd be in art shows. Like there wasn't a thing that he wasn't doing. And he was like that from about 15 or 16. You know, so he was really one of those graffiti writers that, you know, worked super, super hard, super young and got really established. And then, you know, like um, got to a point where then he built a family and could kind of relax a little into his art and kind of just doing his pieces for recreation. But I don't think that anybody, even people that painted consistently for 25 years, would have surpassed the quantity or the quality of what he did. That's my opinion. And yeah. there's other people that agree because he wrote several names too. I mean, he was the king under several names. I've actually heard that from um, from other people like who, who have been traveling from overseas and they've gone they've gone through Auckland and they've ended up in Melbourne and uh, you know, they end up painting with them and mm. talking to them about their Auckland experience and they'd say you know um internationally you're the one mm. that's well known but they said mm. locally in auckland like the mm. undisputed king is fat one and, every, and everyone respects him and yeah it's, it's his personality yeah. too yeah yeah because he's a larger than life character you know and and he worked in a retail store for years so he dealt with all the kids he talked to them every day he gave a lot of guidance to a lot of people that way you know and 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 so and he was always down with the like he knew what was up what was going down in the scene, like who the new writers were, like everything, you know, he really was at the pulse, you know. So he's like a father figure to a lot of people, man. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that, um, you know, coming up in Auckland and trying to make a name for yourself internationally has um, mm. been difficult, the fact that you are in Auckland? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's different. Like, I've, you know, like I never was scared of the internet, man. I, to me, I thought the internet was such a beautiful anarchy. Like the first time I got onto the internet, I was just like, whoa, like, because I, I literally like the first time I ever went on the internet, like my friend's dad was like to me and like, it was like 96 or 97 or something. It must be 96. And my friend's dad was like, have you ever been on the internet? And I was like, nah, is that what you're always sitting there doing on your computer? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, here, jump on. And he dialed up on his 56K modem and it made that horrible sound. And then I was connected and then he opened up a you know, search engine, and he's like, you know, um, here you go, just type in a word, you know, like something you're interested in, and I was like, well, the only thing I liked was graffiti, so I was like, graffiti, and then, boom, like, art crimes came up, graffiti.org, <coughs> excuse me, and um, it was just an epiphany to me, 
You know what I mean? Because graffiti to me went from being like something that was super local, you know, and super like niche to being like something that was this worldwide cultural phenomenon. And um, I had no idea, to be honest. I had no idea there was graffiti in mainland China, you know, or Thailand, you know, um, or like, you know, all of these Eastern European countries or anything. I mean, I just thought graffiti was something that, you know, I knew there was some in Australia and I definitely knew there was some in America, but that was, and I knew there was some in Germany, obviously, because I was obsessed with Germany. That, that was about it, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of mind-blowing to me, man. And then I went onto the little index that they had with all the different countries, and there was all these countries listed, but there was no New Zealand. And then I was just like, that's it. That's my, that's what I'm gunning for. I want to be the guy that is on here representing New Zealand. I want me and my friends to be seen. So, you know, shortly after I actually made a website, like, um, as an assignment, my, you know, when I went to uni, I did like a failed, but I did multimedia, they called it back then, which is like kind of new media where you kind of, you know, just standard kind of like stuff that everyone takes for granted today, you know, but I was like learning coding and animation and, you know, film and video, like production and, you know, um, graphic design and stuff. And um, one of our assignments was to build a website. So I made myself a website. I think the first time I had a website was like 1998. Yeah, and to this day, I'm probably one of the only graffiti writers in my city that's ever had and maintained the website that whole time. Yeah. So, yeah. So you still, you that, still update your website regularly? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, my website's more of a folio of everything I do creatively now. You know, it's been different things at different times, my website. It's, it's gone from blog to, you know, like magazine kind of style to, you know, um, you know, just a landing page for a period of time to another blog to, you know, it's, it's you know, and now it's just more of a folio that shows the scope of what I do because, you know, I've done a lot of stuff outside of graffiti too, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like video and, I mean, I've directed like 30 music videos. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. you about that. Like, I've, I've, yeah. I see you post about it every now and then and, um, yeah. you know, like, so, like, you just direct them and you um, storyboard them and stuff like that? I, um, I tend to um, shoot, you know, direct, edit and do any post, like, animation or, you know, like, um, After Effects stuff or anything, like motion graphics, you know. I mean, I'm pretty good at teaching myself how to use anything. So, um, and people are willing to allow me the time to play around with an idea or something I've got in my head and try and achieve it. You know, and I take it seriously. You know, I don't take the piss when I do it. So I, I, I try to do it as awesome as I can. I look back at some of them now, and they're they're so funny. You know, but yeah, you know, it's all it's all learning, isn't it? It is. You know? It is. I've yeah. made I've made a few videos, and I was showing someone one the other day. And mm. I just couldn't watch it. I was, I was yeah. like, it's like, man, when I made this, I thought this was the best shit ever. But now I'm now I'm looking at it going, yeah, it's a bit slow, a bit boring, like the edits I like aren't the, that, that like good. the India series that you did was cool just uh, because it was it was it was more interesting to look at all, all of what you guys were exploring and seeing, you know, like because my belief about graffiti and why I got into making videos in the first place is totally linked, which was that graffiti like there's no power in actual the style the style of graffiti. Like, you know, you hear people say really kind of like redundant things like style is king or some shit like that, you know. Like the shape of letters means really nothing in the in the grand picture. It's, I mean, it does to us, but like graffiti 
derives all its power and context from its surrounds. Mm. You know, that's, that's how you understand everything about how it was done, what sort of circumstances, was that a risky place, was that a scary place, you know, like um, you see the texture and the history, you can see the kind of advertising in the surrounds, you can see the people who are walking there, what they're wearing, you know, like everything that, that is powerful about graffiti comes from the documentation of it, not yeah. just, the act is like one thing, like sure, that's the fun part, but the, the cultural kind of like, significance the impact of it comes from the context that it gets from its documentation i mean it's why you know if you look at like someone like john nas photos or martha cooper's photos or something and you see so much other stuff in the background that makes it good mm. and that's that's what drew, like drew me to video like yeah you know like video was like to me another way to tell the story around it versus you know just doing the act of it and taking a very tightly cropped photo of like what I've done, which doesn't tell anybody anything. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about it the last few days actually, just because I knew I was mm. going to sit down and talk to you, and I've been thinking about graffiti a bit and um and what makes graffiti like in, an individual piece so good. And it's like first I was like, oh no, it's got to be about the letters and the style and all that. And it's like, mm. oh yeah, but then you know if you've got shit colours. Mm. Yeah, you lose the style and it looks shit or whatever. But mm. then I thought, but yeah, but what about the placement? You know, mm. it's like yeah, you know, if you've got really good placement, it's like mm. it doesn't even matter if it's a bit scrappy or whatever. It's like the placement. Yeah, if you've got the the best spot. If and I then, if I talk to if I talk to somebody that's a layman that doesn't like know graffiti or know how to interpret what's good or bad, um. They would be so surprised to hear me say that I've seen tags that are so much better than people's entire murals. Yeah. Because from a layman's viewpoint, you know, like they would never understand that, you know. But it's it's what you say. It's it's about the placement. It's like how you get over. Yeah, I completely agree. And I've been think, thinking about it yesterday, actually. I was thinking about it because I was in my studio all day and I was painting. I had all the time in the world and I'm giving this canvas multiple coats and all this type of stuff. And I was thinking about the excitement of doing graffiti illegally and um, and thinking, you know, you, you, you're painting quickly as you can. You, you And I was thinking about the, like, it's sort of almost like a meditation process when you're in the studio, you're doing these lines and all that and you're sort of just zoning out and doing your stuff. And I'm thinking you can't do that when you're painting graffiti. You're trying to do the, um, the style the best you can. But then you're thinking as, as well, shit, can someone see me at the moment? If someone can mm. see me, who are they? Mm. You know, is it an old lady or is it a cop? You know, you know how, exactly. much, how much time do I have? You know, this and yeah. that. And if you're doing it with someone else, you're looking over going, shit, they're almost finished. I better hurry up. There's so mm. much that's racing through your head as you're trying, mm. to, trying to produce a beautiful piece of artwork as well. And what you, can, what you take very seriously and you want, it in, you want it to be the best possible because it's going to be in the public eye and you know it's it, you're putting yeah, yourself out there really and and the funny thing is that no one actually even gives a shit that's 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 what makes <laughs> it so fucking insane like no one that you're like i'm fucking putting this in the public eye like it's going to come mm. under scrutiny and to everybody else well so many people will just walk past it and other people would be like oh that shit yeah. <laughs> you know? like, but but you know <clears throat> I, I the audience for graffiti is kind of like it's not even local anymore, so it's mm. like you know. Once upon a time, you painted painted graffiti in the in the locality, and 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 people that live near it engage with it. But post internet, people's audiences are 
people who are fanatical about this type of work that live in any different locality. And so once again, that's why, you know, context is everything. Because I want you to know that if I painted on the street of Detroit, it's in Detroit. I want you to know that if I painted a particular make of train, you know, from a particular city, that's what it is. And this is kind of like the type of environmental factors I had to deal with. I want you to know if I'm representing Auckland, it's fucking Auckland, you know. Like, I really want you to know that I'm an artist from the South Pacific. Like, that's important to me, you know. And, um, and I think that that's the kind of power of graffiti, yeah. you know. Um, you know, but, um, you know, I, I mean, man, I fall in and out of love with it all the time, though. Yeah, you know? so do I. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I have my moments, man. I just painted a bunch of stuff on this trip, you know. That's, the, that's one of the perks of rolling with someone like Ryan, who still really loves it. I mean, he will love it for his whole life. You know, there's no, I mean, he makes art, but it's like, yeah, he supports himself from art and he finds it challenging and interesting or whatever, but right to his core, he's an absolute graffiti writer, like, through and through. And, you know, when when I'm around someone like him, then I find it intoxicating in the way that I used to, you know. But yeah. but it also represents a lot of bad stuff in my life, man, and it and also becomes a stifling energy. You know, we develop differently as graffiti writers. We see the world completely, completely different. You know, we modify our entire worldview to fit this lifestyle and it can really inhibit any kind of positive development in other areas. You know, it's very hard for us, you know, we become very paranoid and solitary people, you know, we're just bonded to like this kind of brotherhood, you know, and sometimes sisterhood of other like-minded people. Um, but at the same time, we still have to be guarded with what we share even with them. And, you know, I don't know, man. So last few years, I just kind of felt like um, I needed some change. I need some new challenges. I need to experience the world a little bit differently, you know. Yeah. Is that what's, uh, why you've been focusing a lot more on your um, studio work? Yeah, I mean, in part, you know, like I've, I've always made studio work. That's the funny thing. But I just didn't, I didn't like concretely know what I was ex wanting to express there yet. Like graffiti was so like so all-consuming I went through all the typical kind of like motions that everybody does when they kind of like go from being a, a known graffiti writer to trying to make like art of substance you know like they do it's it's always the same kind of journey it's like you kind of wrestle with how to paint something that relates back to your graffiti for ages and first you probably start off doing graffiti on canvas and then you realize oh no that's not going to work you know, that it has no power in that context. So you're just like, no, that's not going to work. And then you kind of like start developing something that's kind of derived from or has the stylistic kind of, you know, hallmarks of graffiti. And sometimes it does work very well. But there's a lot of people that are like have crossed really well into abstract territory and kind of have, have achieved that, you know. And it's very easy to just kind of end up doing what they do. So then, you know, you have to start asking yourself some harder questions, you know. And in my case, it was it really just came back to locality. Like it really came back to, well, where do I come from? What's influenced me? What took me on this journey in the first place? And for me, you know, it was a realization that I just come from a very specific place in a very specific time. And, um, you know, I try to express to people why my city is different culturally. 
Um, and a lot of it has to do with like the people that live there. And the people that live there are basically a collection of people from the entire Pacific region, you know, which is a pretty vast region. But you won't find many cities like Auckland that have all of those cultures there well represented. You know, I mean, we have, you know, when you think about it, the Pacific is the, you know, the east coast of Australia, the west coast of the entire Americas, you know, big part of Asia. In Southeast Asia and then, you know, New Zealand and then all these little, you know, island nations in between. And you'd be very hard pushed to go to any other city in the world and find all of those distinct cultures living in one one place together. And that's that's what started making me ask some questions, you know, and started thinking, well, how do I talk about this? I started talking about it with like words because lettering was kind of like, you know, integral to what I did. So I did this more typographic stuff. Um, but after a time, it just sort of didn't feel that powerful. And so I started focusing on these portraits. And um, portraiture seems very obvious, but to me it's just it's such a – I just have a kind of a resource, which is the people that I meet and encounter. It gives me, um, it gives me a talking point. You know, it gives me something to discuss with people and strike up conversations with them. And um, it's a learning tool for me. You know, it's, it's helping me be a, be a better human. You know, like getting out and just asking people questions about where they come from, how and why, and trying to get some sort of sense of kind of like um, just this whole kind of diaspora, you know? Yeah. So, like with the people that you do paint, like a, lo- a mm. lot of them, uh, are they from all over the world? Like people you're meeting in different parts of the world or are they predominantly just from uh, New Zealand? Um, you know, there's a huge, there's a huge kind of um, sort of, I give a lot of preference to people that are from what I call that Pacific region, and but it's the whole Pacific Rim. But you know, um, there's a few scenarios where I will kind of s- sort of split out from that a little bit if it's appropriate, you know. So I I take a very serendipitous approach to making art, and how I and that's a, the same approach I take to how I meet and enjoy people. You know, like I'm I'm a people collector. You know, I'm always making friends. I love people. I love learning people's story. You know what I mean. And um, if I'm just enchanted by somebody that I see, or I feel somebody possesses something that's just striking to me, you know, even if I just feel any hesitation, I've been learning how to push through it and just like go and introduce myself and talk to them. And uh, I never, I, I'm never not learning something interesting from the people I meet. You know, like every time people will surprise you. I'm really into exploring the links between people, man like between cultures because it's like um, we're so mixed up now in this world like especially post kind of second world war and definitely post-colonialism you know you colonialism is the thing that's just stirred the pot yeah you know like for better or for worse but either way it is what it is and there's there's so many crazy outcomes that if you look at them just kind of like objectively I mean they can't not be interesting you know Especially mm. from where we live, and you know, it's um, you know, if you think back to not only two, you know, just over two hundred years ago, that mm. there was just Aboriginals living in Australia, and you know, Maori's yeah, well, in New Zealand, and well, I think I think you know, like the differences between different countries and and how those those struggles have have sort of played out, and the cultures that exist in these countries now is really fascinating to me. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, there's just so much history 
you know, because like 200 years is just a, a blip on the radar compared to like how long some of these cultures have existed in these places. I mean, for, you know, indigenous Australian people have been there, you know, they estimate somewhere between 50 and 60,000 years, which is just absolutely fucking fascinating, you know, to have such a deep connection to, to a place, you know, and for, you know, like for the Māori in New Zealand, like they've been there for like probably roughly over a thousand years, but they, they have a really interesting story of how they got there, you know, through a very gradual migration through the Pacific, populating all of the islands. And New Zealand was just like the culmination of a very long journey. So I also understand their connection to the land when you think about it like that, because they found home. Yeah. And, and they weren't home for long. And someone else came knocking and said, you know, can I have your home? You know, you don't want to give me your home. Can I take your home? And then they were like, no, okay, we obviously can't take your home because you're too tough. <laughs> can we make a deal and we can live here together? And then we'll systematically erode, you know, your culture through other ways. You know, colonialism is a, a strange beast, you know. But, but I think that the fact that we are, <clears throat> you know, a Maori-like country first and foremost is kind of um, – it's what's really set the stage for how things have played out in the communities that have like immigrated and settled and live amongst us in our country now. Um, you know, there's a certain tone, particularly in my city, you know, that's for me very, very in, like real contrast to like how it is in Australian cities, you know, and, and, you know, if you spend time in Auckland, you understand it. I mean, we're a Polynesian country first and foremost, and all we've really done is kind of gradually return to that state. You know, and so Pacific people are really, you know, the defining people, you know, the defining cultures, all these various Pacific cultures, like, absolutely define our city, you know. And that's, for me, a powerful thing to grow up around. I feel very honored, you know, because um, it just gave me a very different outlook, you know, and how I travel the world and engage with people and, and the kind of empathies that I have with people, you know, when I hear their stories, you know. Um, i, I got to thank you know, all of those circumstances for making me the person that I am, you know. Yeah. Ah, nice one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stumped. i got nothing to add yeah. to that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, could, like, I, I mean, I love this shit, you know, like, yeah, yeah. to me, it's a real learning experience, man, learning how to engage that way. Yeah. You know, and art is a really beautiful thing, a real beautiful tool to engage with people like for example like I used to go to like a lot of these big like festivals and things like you know I'd go to like Miami or go to that but I'll go with my graffiti friends and we always maintain a level of distance from everybody else but we saw a lot of like what was happening muralistically and kind of you know like within the street art scene and stuff like that is really corny like we didn't really want to be associated with it but I've really changed my kind of tech in the last couple of years, man, and, and I'm really thankful I have, you know, like I've got a, a you know, I know I have my own perspective on things now because I, I see like, I mean, I'm not like, I, I understand that like muralism is kind of being, like the idealism that people that paint large-scale muralism is a better way to say it, is being manipulated, you know, and used as part of kind of, in a lot of ways, like kind of neo kind of colonialism, if you will, the new colonialism. And it's a really sad thing to experience because it's not the intent of the artists. It's the intent of people who want to speculate and manipulate and engineer, you know, um, 
you know, this world for greed, you know, and it's so sad to feel used in that way, you know what I mean? Like the amount of communities I've gone into now and painted big murals purely because I'm on this little journey that I just talked about. And then, but it's part of some kind of property developer's big plan or some local government's big plan to kind of like sort of gentrify a community or kind of change the dynamics of an area or en engineer, you know, the dynamics of a place is, it's something that I'm, I'm finding it very hard to stomach in some ways at the moment, you know, yeah. but, but at the same token, I've been upset to see that a lot of people like that paint graffiti, uh, directing the anger at, at the artists that are painting the murals and I know there's a lot of really horrible murals out there man like it's you know but when you live in a city like mine and there's so much real estate because they buff so hard and the places that people choose to go do throw-ups and stuff is over a mural out of some sort of statement towards that you know like you know I don't know how I feel about that either you know what I mean like I don't feel like that's the solution either it's like it's like cannibalism yeah well, it's like, you know? um, yeah, I guess it's it's old like street art versus graffiti debate. Yeah, but I, it's like rollerbladers I, and skaters, boogie boarders yeah. and uh, surfers. You know. Yeah, but it's, but it's funny, you know, because there are plenty of fucking rollerbladers within the mural scene for sure, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But there's plenty of us that, that did a lot of stuff within graffiti and uh, yeah. to our core graffiti writers. We're just mm. older, that's all. Yeah. And I feel like we deserve a pass. If we want to make, if we're on a different kind of journey, I believe that we've earned our stripes enough to have a pass, you know. And people should respect what we're doing, you know. Yeah. Like, I, you know, like because the thing is that I still will revert back very quickly and take care of things if I have to, you know. And and it's that's never to be misunderstood, you know what I mean? Like because it's very serious to me. It's very sacred, you know. Mm. Um, that's that's twenty twenty five years almost of experience for me, you yeah. know twenty years or something you know like it's a huge chunk of my life man it means so much you know i i hate it when some new jack comes and does a throw up over a mural yeah I, you know i get i get so fucked off about it man i don't blame you but do you um like do you get uh put into the uh the street art category sometimes when you're painting those large murals do you does yeah. that happen yeah I, yeah, big time, man. And that's why I've sort of been re working really hard to clarify that I don't even see what I'm doing as part of street art. I don't even see the big murals as being street art. I think it's the wrong term. They're fucking murals. Yeah. You know, like, like street art to me was like a distinct movement in a time and place thing too, just like graffiti. Like I, when I think about street art, I think about people that were like wheat pasting or doing stickers or doing stencils and things like that. It's this kind of... um. It was kind of this repetitious kind of, you know, I, you know, you reusing an icon, like a familiar icon, like they would always develop a character or a certain kind of symbol that they would do repetitiously. And, you know, you got like, you know, Andre the Giant has a posse and, you know, you have like Space Invader and you have voice things. That was like what street art was like. But it, street art was also often made in the confines of a studio, the safety of a studio you know, so that they could work at some sort of level of detail that they couldn't really achieve in situ. Whereas graffiti was always, you know, created in situ, like you say, looking over your shoulder, you know. So there were different different things about it that separated them yeah. that would make, make street art contentious for us, yeah. you know. And, and, and I think a lot of street artists certainly confused the issue by kind of trying to borrow from 
the kind of renegade kind of image of people that do graffiti, like, you know, like traditional graffiti, like you will see them covering their faces and trying to be mysterious, you know, but there was never the type of like um, resentment or anger towards what they did that we had to deal with because it was often relatable. It would often be a figure or a little character, you know, something that, you know, my mom would be like, you know, not really comment about stuff that me and my friends did, but if somebody was doing some kind of street art, then it would suddenly be like, oh, oh I like that one. That's nice, yeah, you know? That old yeah. story. Yeah, and I think that's what pissed a lot of graffiti writers off, you know, was that it was just so accepted. So it's, that, that's kind of part of why, like, I find it so hard when people, like, refer to me as such because I'm just like, well, that's not my journey, man. You've got to respect me in relation to my journey. Like, where I've arrived I've arrived, but it was through a different set of circumstances. You know, it was a different process altogether. Yeah. You know. So, um, like, if you if if thinking back to when you first started, like graffiti and and art and everything, like someone who's you know on their way up, like, what advice would you give you? You know, would you give yourself say fifteen years ago of what you can see well, like, now? Well, like you know, like if I'm wearing my traditional graffiti hat, you know. I'd give a different type of advice to what I give to somebody as an adult now mm. and seeing just the beauty of kind of straight creativity, you know? Yeah. Like I meet a lot of kids that when they draw, the stuff they draw is so weird and strange and like when they first get into graffiti, it's so weird and strange but it's like at the, t- the same token like so beautiful, you know, and I love it, you know what I mean? And I, and I feel like if people can kind of just keep in touch with what they naturally do themselves, they're going to have such a faster road to kind of achieving something significant and powerful, you know, like because it's just real and reflective of who they are. But like um, my traditional graffiti kind of, you know, sort of persona would probably just tell people to just do it. Just the most important thing is just the act of doing. Yeah. Yeah. And and would you give the same (laughs) advice to someone going down a a fine art art career? Yeah. 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 You just you just do things, you get better at things through the process of doing them repetitively, you know, fine tuning and, and thinking, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know that point, it's like when you think about musicians that, you know, hit it big and then they go on tour for like two years at a time or something and they're just constantly touring the world, you know, you, some guitarist like, you know, who's just like playing every single night like the same set, but just finding the the strange little spaces in between to kind of like make what you do nuanced and interesting, you know, like that's, that's what happens when you paint all the time, you know, you know, when you're on, like, you know, when the shit's just flowing easily, you know, it's a really nice place to be, but it doesn't come when you take big, big breaks. Yeah. It doesn't come when you kind of interrupt that kind of flow. It's a very natural thing, you know? Yeah. It's the same thing skateboarding or you know anything yeah do you, do you um, like make do art in one way or another every day yeah I think so like I'm pretty involved in doing art full-time now um, I do have some small breaks like in between bodies of work to kind of really contemplate what I want to do next like maybe I try to kind of make a shift yeah. um, sort of either thematically or you know sort of stylistically sorry just but um, I try to make sort of incremental changes, you know, to how I approach it each time and, and just keep some sort of, you know, evolution happening. But I also, I try to do things like I do, I do try to research, even if I'm just painting a bunch of portraits, I like to kind of like read a lot, 
leading into a body of work so that the body I'm, I'm making has kind of like got the energy of something that's relevant to yeah. what I'm thinking or reading about or learning about at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like at, at the moment, like the work that I'm doing relates a lot to what, to my little rant before about colonialism, like, you know, which I found out I have a much more direct link to than I ever realized. Yeah. In what yeah. way? And that my four times great grandfather was more or less a mercenary. He was an Irishman that was a career soldier for the English, and he was in three colonial wars. He was in the Crimean War, the Indian Mutiny, and he was um, in the Taranaki Land Wars in 1860 in New Zealand. So um, he was pretty much a soldier for hire wherever the English needed him to kind of fight, you know, fight on behalf of colonialism. And that's how my family name sort of made its way to New Zealand. Yeah. So to have that kind of link was interesting for me because I thought we were much more recent migrants. Yeah. You know, but we go we go back, you know, many generations and we're pretty well established like name around um northern Taranaki, some of the first Irish settlers there. So, you know, pretty interesting. Yeah. 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 Um so we, we, when you uh made the transition from graffiti into art like to, as a career, um was that tough to get started or you know, was it a big decision that you made or did you start making money off your graffiti and then slowly um, changed your approach and technique? Oh, it, it's, been, it's been slow and it's been a lot of trial and error. I actually, I had a commercial art business at a point. Like I sort of ran a, a, a gallery space and I published a magazine and I did all these other little things like I explored all these different facets for how I could survive doing this type of thing. And my mentality then towards art was it was very uneducated, man. Like, you know, my I never went to art school or anything. So my my education in art has just been through one of doing and falling on my ass and getting back up again, you know. So yeah. um, I had a commercial art business, though. It was one aspect of what we did back in those days. And, and I painted a lot of commercial murals for people while I was still a – you know, I probably wasn't the most active, but shortly after that, I probably entered my most active phase as just a graffiti writer because I decided that I didn't want to have to ever um, sort of whore out, you know, my creativity to things I didn't believe in. Yeah. And I knew that I'd been young and I thought that doing jobs for money would be like so awesome. Like I thought, oh, fuck, that would be the life, you know. And then I realized it was like the most soul destroying stuff ever, like doing something for an energy drink brand or. Or something like that. It just felt awful. Like you know, like afterwards, I was just like, no, there has to be some way to find, um, you know, the mechanism where I can just make art that I believe in, that I feel is like culturally sound, and have an outlet for it and sell it to support myself to make more art. Yeah, you know, like and to pay my bills while I do it and not be a burden on anyone. You know, and and that that was harder to do. You know, it's much easier to go do quick little cash jobs for people paint a logo on the side of a shop or, you know, do this and that. But, oh, you know, I just hate it too much, man. Yeah. It's interesting that you said you never went to art school because um, mm. you know, I've interviewed a few pe- fair few people for this show and um, mm. it just seems to be a common theme and people are doing really well in their careers and, you know, their art is being bought up in some really prestigious collections, yet mm. they, uh, they, they're self-taught. Yeah, I think I think at the moment is kind of the the era of the self-taught artist. Mm. 
because I mean, like one of our most prestigious art schools in my city, um, I mean, they really they really shunned painting for about twenty years, and were really encouraging people to look at other things like new media, you know, intermedia and performance art and highly conceptual kind of work. Um, and I don't think they produced a decent painter out of that school for like twenty years. And then, you know, last year's graduation show I went to and all of these kids were painting, you know, like with the, you know, just like painting his back. But the reference point for most of them were people that I consider peers and friends. Yeah. And they're, and they're all self-taught artists. They're yeah. all people that didn't go through the institutions at all and a good chunk of them came out of graffiti. Hmm. So, you know, um, in a weird way, it's kind of like it's, it's come to another kind of point of um, fruition and recognition, you know, um, and it's sort of it's it's done that it's done that, and maybe not the way that it has done it in the past. Like before, I've seen graffiti permeate its way into kind of mainstream culture and pop culture, and into you know design for products and clothing and streetwear and stuff like that. But I've never really seen it genuinely sort of elevate into high art um, on the scale that it has now, there was only a very small group of people that successfully did that before. And a lot of them were people that had probably come from the, you know, the early New York scene. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of due that, that it should happen for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going back a bit, like, uh, one thing I I really found exciting was when you and, um, you and Burst started coming out with the, the Netch style. Mm. You could tell that you two, you guys have really put your thinking cap on and had uh, had some conversations about doing something new that yeah, well, hadn't been done yet. Yeah, like, well, Burst is like the first person that I met that was younger than me in, in our scene that thought about graffiti like with the type of intensity that I do. Mm. Um, you know, like it was really like an all-consuming thing for him, you know. And, um, and he, he wanted to make things different. Like he he wanted to be an innovator, and that's what I wanted to be. So it was so great to have this kind of discourse with somebody so much younger, but that just was firing me up like that. Because generally, like you know, when I painted with some of my other main partners, um, you know, for example, like Vince, Vince was Vince is a really classic kind of painter. Like he loves really classic graffiti. But we had a kind of partnership over a couple of years where we did a lot of stuff together, and the mentality. Like what he brought to it was a dedication. He would scope the spots, you know, he would G me up, you know, like he was the guy who was like, I want to paint, like, fuck, are you down? And I'd be like, yeah. And then I would show up with the concept, like I would have packed the kit. I would have planned out the color scheme. I would say, we're going to do this effect on it. Like, don't worry, I'll render this on both our letters. I'll do the background, you know, like, so we had that mentality going on. Um, with me and Bursa, it was like a total, like, I, I don't think that, like, we were at the same in the same position sort of you know when we first started painting together I, I think I was a little bit more developed at that time and refined but I could just see all the raw talent and you know he's the first person I ever painted with that like really surpassed me like real quick you know like out of the younger people that I've like painted with like um, as far as the net stuff the way that they came about was we felt that just the general order that people painted pieces was becoming so routine you know, sketch, fill, designs, outline, bubbles, highlight, you know, that we thought how interesting would it be to kind of just start attacking every single aspect of it from an unusual order, just a reordering of things, you know, and then, you know, how would it be 
to put much more time into something, like to spend, you know, days and days on something or, you know, just to put your absolute all into it. And then how would it be to like, if I painted half your piece and you painted half my piece and we didn't tell anybody, you know, and then just how about if we brought a third person in and we all painted a third of each other's piece and didn't tell anyone? Like, how would that change the style? Like, what sort of possibilities would that open up to us, you know? What if I sketch four lines on a wall and you turned it into an outline for me and you sketch four lines on a wall and I turned it into an outline for you? Like, that was the mentality that we brought to it. We were trying to challenge ourselves in every single way we could as far as how we thought about how to conceive and execute a piece. So that, you know, the fact that it got certain there were certain stylistic things that evolved and I've seen other people roll with them, you know. I see people in Europe, you know, in Australia and America use things that came from those sessions, you know. I know what it looks like when I see it, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I, it's I like, agree. it just was stuff that just came out of just this conversation, like, you know. For example, the flared, like the really overly flared sort of motion lines and, and aura lines, that sort of go around the pieces and everything or sometimes would go through came from my idea and it came from back when I used to paint 3D pieces of like treating all the components of a classic New York style piece like three-dimensional things sitting in space. So if you had an aura and you know the cool thing about astro caps is that when you really knock enough gas out of them or the can's cold enough you can get so much expression in this line because you can treat it like it's three-dimensional and you can create a line that looks like a flared-out hollow tube and then you can bring it right down to a sharp point with the same cap, you know, if you've got the can at the precise pressure. So you can make it look like an element that's floating in behind, around, and through a letter. And to me, that was exciting, you know what I mean? So we would do that. But then I would see other people just do flared fat cap lines, but they didn't understand what we were actually trying to do was treat them like they were in space, like there was a genuine depth, you know? Yeah. We put our 3Ds in any direction. We didn't invent that. I mean, fucking heaps of people have done that, but that was definitely a stylistic thing. What I used to love Burst used to do was bevel his 3Ds out so he had 3D on both sides of a letter like it had been just squashed down at a point. Like yeah. that shit was dope, you know what I mean? Or we would like eliminate portions of outline by like outlining something in one color and then coming with a, a similar color and kind of sort of rendering it out in a really flat graphic kind of way so it looked beveled. You know, there was heaps of shit. It was, it was so much fun, man. It was the fucking coolest time, you know. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Our motivation, man, to do that, like I have to give a lot of credit to some, some other people, man. Like, like for me, like, like um, Seiko and Soffles, like all DTS guys, like I went to, I'd had a conversation with Burst about um, like really going further down into a much more detailed direction and he was actually geeing, geeing me up and I was on the buzz where I was like, I'm really into simplicity about like, I was sort of in a minimal phase of like one color fills and a really flared fat cap outline, you know, or just really focusing on an outline and doing less to achieve more. And then I went to Australia for like an Ironlack thing and painted a production with like Soffles and, and Seiko and some other guys and like, oh, like I was just watching them go in, you know, and I was like, got some ideas of how we could really do some stuff to kind of freak them out. Yeah. So I went home, I said, oh, you yeah, know, we got to do it. And we did this one wall and I sent it to them and they took the bait like really hard. Like Soffles was like competitive enough to be like, oh, I see you. And then he sort of took it and ran and 
you know, took it to another level, of course, yeah. and then that would motivate us. And then sort of Vans joined the discussion, you know, like Ryan was another person, you know, be painting and we'd be like watching what he did and we'd want to really compete, you yeah. know, in a friendly way, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of people in, involved in, in the discussion. They weren't necessarily st like striving for the same things as us or even knowing that they were part of our discussion, but we thought they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool that um, you can have you know, a discussion like that and, a, and a, um, so many people in different countries are involved, you know, mm. like this modern yeah. technology and everything. You're not waiting on a, uh, a letter with some photos in there or, or anything no, like that. No. It was instant. Yeah, well, I mean, back in the day, it was like that. But but in this day and age, I mean, we could finish and we would send it straight to Sophos. You know, like look what we did. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like it was it was a fun time because there was a lot of progression. What my my hope was to see a, a lot more people locally kind of take that approach because people started to recognize it as kind of something of a like a Auckland style or something like that. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of cool because, like, you know, I feel like. Um, regional styles were sort of a thing of the past and were starting to die out, you know. I mean, Melbourne had a really strong kind of like um, tradition of its own. It was like a real leader, you know, but today like um, you would, you know, a lot of Melbourne graffiti looks like a lot of graffiti from Europe or other places, you know what I mean? You don't see people that paint like murder no. anymore, you know what I mean? No. You don't see people that paint like puzzle, no. you know what I mean? Um, but those, you know? Unfortunately not. Yeah, because they were the leaders of the world. Yeah, the best, some of the best, best artists in this sort of genre of art to have ever. I mean, you wouldn't have Lumet or people like that doing what they were doing if you hadn't had those guys. Like, yeah. if you hadn't had Murder, he was like a pioneer. You know what I mean? I thought, wow, it's an exciting thing to kind of like have an influence. But to be honest, man, it was pretty short-lived. Yeah, like maybe kids outside of Auckland paint like that in New Zealand. Like people in like Hamilton and Rotorua and like you know Mount Monganui and stuff, but but kids in Auckland don't paint like that. They paint like everyone in the rest of the world. They're doing whimsical, quick kind of graffiti. You know that's kind of the trend at the moment. You know yeah. all around the world, everywhere. Yeah, know? I know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but um, but like yeah, you look on the internet and there's a trend that goes on globally. But when you mm. arrive in, when you do go traveling and you arrive mm. in cities, you see trends that aren't, you're not noticing on the uh, internet so much. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. true. I mean, I think though, like traveling around America, I mean, you still see regional differences, you know, between like, say, graffiti of the Midwest, graffiti of New York, graffiti of like California. Like you can definitely see that. But you've also got your kind of, um, they have a lot of real kind of rogue migratory kind of writers over here that just go from city to city. I mean, next was that, you know, yeah. like, uh, like, you know, there's a lot of them, you know, um, pair has kind of been that in the last few years, you know, people that paint like, you know, you know, bigger is kind of that, you know, although bigger does really decent style pieces, but a lot of guys paint really straight, bold, readable stuff. You know, and and they've taken all the kind of fanciful kind of stuff out of it. Like a lot of American writers have gone back to like really kind of straight up bold. Yeah. You know, I like that. Style. You know, I mean, it's good. Yeah. You know, it's it's a big part of America's kind of graffiti tradition, I guess. But yeah. call me old fashioned, man. I I also really like you know people who are uh, sort of challenging that too. Yeah. You know, and going a step further. I love, I love personally more than anything to see someone do something at a spot that you would typically do that, but go a level up. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know what you if mean. I, if I see someone really push, push like the risk factor and the style factor, then I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I've got to give it to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll start, uh, we'll start wrapping this up. Yeah, all good. I don't want to keep you too late, you know. Um, but uh, like, have you got any plans for the future? Um, yeah, I mean, my plans trying to trying to make what I do sustainable while I live in a remote island in the bottom of the South Pacific. You know, um, trying back, to back pocket uh, try, of the world. Yeah, <laughs> more or less, bro. <laughs> trying to, um, I mean, you know, man, I'm. I've stopped kind of making goals in a weird way because I, I just don't want to like disappoint myself, you know. I sort of, I'm not trying to, and, and I'm not saying that in a defeatist way. I'm just saying that um, I'm happy just to kind of ride this wave and where it takes me is going to take me. I, I spend my whole life trying to like control the narrative. You know, I try to control the narrative of like how Auckland Graffiti worked and flowed and was promoted and you know all of this sort of stuff you know and and you know it was beneficial at the time but it's not healthy for me to do that long term you know i'm on my my own journey right now you know yeah i've realized i've realized i'm an artist you know yeah like to my to my core you know that's probably what i always was is just graffiti was just the most appropriate like entry point for me yeah but you haven't thought about where you want to be in like you know five ten years or anything like that yeah just as long as if, if if I'm doing this in a sustainable way, you know, like I've I've never had an aspiration to be a wealthy person. I, I don't really care about a lot of material things. Mm. Um, I care about my health, my happiness, and being able to create, you know, which is a big part of my health and happiness. Yeah. Like as long as I have, you know, like you know, shelter, food, you know, a little bit of money for emergencies if anything goes down, you know. And um, and I'm making art, then I'm I'm pretty happy, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not vying for approval. I'm not a vi- I'm not vying for critical critical success, you know. I'm not vying to blow up and be a kind of celebrity artist, you know. I, yeah. I, I, I really not like it's funny like maybe at different times I have desired that. I think everybody goes through their phases, you know. But no, nah, I don't know. Like I'm just doing what I'm doing, man. It's like. There's certain things are part and parcel with it, like there's a certain amount of promoting and pushing what I do that I have to do in order for this to be sustainable. And believe me, it is hard for me. Like, you know, I don't like fucking spamming everybody's shit, like, you know, putting flyers for my shows up on my Instagram and doing that stuff, but it's just part of it, you know. It's like if I don't tell you what I'm doing, you might not know, you know, and you might miss out and I might not, you know, get to share that with you. So, you know, yeah, it's... Uh, it's just it's just hand in hand with it. Yeah, I was listening to a um an interesting conversation yesterday actually, and mm. um it was an interview with the guy that uh that runs TED Talks, mm-hmm. and um and he was saying like you know his finances have gone up and down and all that over the years. Mm. He said realistically, like it was an American conversation, so he said realistically, you as an American, you only need like um sixty grand a year to be mm. happy. Right, and he said anything other than that, it's not going to make you any happier. It's no, just, well, it definitely just doesn't. Things you know, but um, it's more like having just basic needs, like survive, you know, roof mm. over your head, food in your belly, and all that, and then a bit of money mm. to go and you know live your life, and enjoy yourself with. But uh, yeah, I found that really interesting because some people just like I've, I'm like you, I've, I've never 
I don't care about being rich or anything like that. Like I want to live a life of abundance and have everything mm. I want. But uh, yeah, I don't want yeah. to. Like you know, if I, you know, people always say they want to win the the thirty million dollar prize in the lottery, and it's like fuck that. What do you, what do you, what do you need thirty million dollars for? You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a waste. It's a waste. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Sort of even desiring that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you know, I, I know, I know of a guy in our area that won the lotto. Yeah. And nothing good came out of it. No. It's I mean, everyone knocking on your door. I mean, you know, or you know, it breeds a type of paranoia where suddenly everyone's knocking on your door and you don't know if you can trust them. Mm. You know, and I've I've seen it with artists that are successful too. Yeah, you know, like there's there's a lot of very kind of um, parasitic people that that work their way into your life when you have that type of financial success. It's um, it's not healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like um, you know, and it's not necessary. It's like like they say, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> um. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But like, if I if I was to go down that path, if I did get Rich, like it's things that I'm actually working on at the moment, where I'm working to give back to the planet, um, mm. and I'm trying to start my own things. You know, and mm. it's it's quite tough, but that's mm. I know if I could generate enough money off that and my art, I'd be very happy. You know, and, yeah, and I could actually make a change to the world in the way I want. You know, I, the way I see it, man, is just that um, you know we we get we get happiness um, when we're fulfilled from doing. Yeah, you know. Contributing, yeah. I mean, that's giving back. Yeah, it's an it's an inherently human thing to want to make a valuable contribution. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but the way that we're kind of being conditioned in a lot of ways is to be much more kind of parasitic to this planet and and things on it. So it's like you know because it enriches a small handful of people. Yeah. Who who frankly don't really care. Yeah. You know, because that, you know, and, and that's, that's the way it has been for a long time. That's the way it potentially always will be. You know what I mean? But it's like, at least while you're here, you know, which you don't really, you know, you never chose to be here, but you might as well make it a good time while you are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so just before we go, uh, where's the best place to find you online? Um, okay. So my website is www.askew.com. Number one, so the one, the numeral, not O-N-E, dot com. Uh, my Instagram is just askew1, but spelt O-N-E, so A-S-K-E-W-O-N-E. Uh, Facebook, I don't run my Facebook. My girlfriend runs my Facebook, but that's um, uh, askew1, so A-S-K-E-W-O-N-E-T-M-D. And uh, just to make it even more confusing, um, I guess those are the main three. Yeah. I mean, I talk a bit of shit on Twitter, but I think most people probably find it boring because I just talk about politics with people from New Zealand. Nobody else knows what the hell I'm on about. So, yeah. Yeah. No, good one. Well, um, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate and, uh, it, man. Yeah, it's, it's been, been really, it's been a, um, a bit of a um, self-indulgent com- uh, graffiti conversation, which is uh, That's right. a bit of a stray off from the norm, but, you know, I like that shit. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But thanks. It's been uh, it's good to catch you where you've got um decent internet connection and we can actually have this conversation. It's been a yeah a while in the making. Yeah, the internet sucks in New Zealand, man. It's amazing. It's like fucking using Morse code. I might as well send a courier pigeon. Yeah. It's funny when you were saying how you've um you're right into the internet uh at a you know, in the late nineties. 
was just thinking, mm. shit, with the connection that they got these days, they would have really oh. sucked back then. Yeah, oh, yeah, bro. You have no idea, man. I, I think I had a lot more patience back yeah. then than I do now. Could imagine you spending two hours on art crimes waiting to load a few photos. Yeah, pretty pretty much. That's how it went down. You remember downloading music back in the day? Jeez, that was that was something else. Yeah, watching video watching videos on the internet back then, like when people were uploading like their little quick times. So it was like, oh, like you'd wait like half a day just to watch like some cruddy little overcompressed like clip. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> and now I'm talking to you like over Skype. Yeah. So there you go. Clear as day. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, it is. Well, um, thanks again, and um, yeah, we might have to catch up another time because I've got a massive list of questions here, and I, I think I only got through a few of them. But um, all right, yeah, we'll stay. Yeah, we'll... Maybe there could be a part two down the track. Okay, sounds good. Great. All, all right, right. <laughs> catch you later, man. See ya. Check out the Bench Talk website, benchtalkpodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes and keep up to date with what's up and coming on the the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes on the podcast app. You can also listen on SoundCloud. Just search for Bench Talk. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, bench underscore talk. Thanks, and I look forward to you tuning in again next week. See ya.